Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today, the man who is thoughts become things, Neo-Positivity. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And our good friend uh, Debbie G is uh, not able to join us today. She's dealing with some personal stuff, but uh, she'll be back next time around. And we're thinking about you, Debbie, and and uh, missing you today. But uh, yeah, it's going to be great when you get back. And uh, Neil, it, it, I mean, this is uh, kind of an interesting time for us because we're, we're entering the summer months or getting ready to enter the summer months here in the northern hemisphere, anyway. And in the, in that time period, that's when we tend to vacate. Go on holiday, have a good time. And that's what uh, Louise and I are going to be doing next week. So um, just a little heads up to you and to the listeners. Don't expect new episodes next week, but you can start hearing them the following week. That's going to be a good thing, too. And we have a special guest joining us today. Her name is Lisanne Valentin. And you may have actually seen her. She has appeared on a number of uh, hit TV shows, including a recurring character on the hit series Manifest on Netflix. Um, her best-selling book, The Everyday Actor, reached number one on Amazon. You can read the abridged version of her memoir in the New York Times bestseller, Eat, Pray, Love, Made Me Do It. Love the title, by the way. <laughs> She's also a professional storyteller, and I love this term, too, a shamanic amplifier. We're going to ask her about that in just a moment, too. But, Lisa Ann, first of all, thank you for joining us on the show. How are you doing today? I feel really great, and I'm so thankful to be here with both of you. We're glad to have you, too. And, and, and tell us... I mean, you were telling us before we got going here, but tell the audience, too, what is a shamanic amplifier? Well, because I'm a fifth-generation shaman, um, I feel like my gifts are aligned with helping people amplify their own gifts. So I'm a really cool straw that knows how to hold space and help people yeah. pinpoint where their gifts lie, helping them find clarity and peace amidst some of the chaos we sometimes create. And fifth-generation, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's pretty wild. <laughs> well, we never use the word shaman. Like this was just like Saturday, right? Everyone just had their gifts and they rocked out. And we, my grandfather passed it on to my mom and to me. He learned from his grandmother. His mom didn't really take part. She was super intuitive and a diviner, but she didn't work with plant medicine like my two times great grandmother did. And she was renowned all over Puerto Rico. And on the island of Puerto Rico, the Taino, the indigenous Taino, which all Puerto Ricans have that heritage, the shamans were known as Boitiu. But because of the way things evolved in Puerto Rico, we never really spoke about Boitiu. We never spoke too much about Taino culture. This was just part of our family. So it was like mm -hmm. weekends was like, my grandfather will prophesy over you, tell you what's going to happen <laughs> next week, show you something about plants. We all have dinner. We keep been moving. And it wasn't until I got the call, like an actual, like spiritual call that I was like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that simplifies a very long process, but that's kind of how it went. So, so your family gatherings weren't really like other people's family gatherings, you know, other people, you know, it's like, you know, let's watch the football game, right? No, no, that's no. not it at all. <laughs> no. And I didn't know that this was not the norm for most people for many years. <laughs> yeah. I did not I, know this. <laughs> sure. Well, it makes sense, really. I mean, what we grew up with, we think that's what's normal. Mm -hmm. right? So how old, how old were you when you left the island? I was born in New York, but oh, okay. I started going to the island when I was three and we would go three times a year. It was really important to my mom for me to feel um, that patriotism for being Puerto Rican. But more than that, I will tell you that I always used to say from very little, mom, the island is calling me. I have to go back. I have to go home. 
And she was born there. She'd never say that. She'd be like, let's go to Puerto Rico. But like, because she, she came when she was 10. My father came when he was 16 to the mainland. But because I was born in New York, I think the expectation was that I'd be like most people will just vacation there. But my heart would ache to be on the soil, to be in the ocean, to be with the trees. Like looking back, I see how very different I was. <laughs> um, but still to this day, I'll know when it's time to go back. Like I feel it in my heart center. Like I have to go now. It's time. It's time to go like get a t- spiritual tune up on the island, which is what it, what it does for me. And I hope I do something for it as well. But, but why do you think you get that calling? That's an unusual calling. To be with the island? Yeah. I think it's just part of like what runs in my DNA. You know, when I'm by the ocean, I have more clarity. And it's not just any ocean. It's like specifically the shores of Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. My intuition like ramps up tenfold. Really? I, yeah. My clairvoyance is super sharp. Like, and I just feel more at home and more centered. So I feel like it's like this recalibration of self when I go back, when I go back to the island. And it's also a super peaceful, awesome place to go if you just in general want to go. To put well, yeah, I mean, the Caribbean, that, that's really a rough place to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it beats like, I don't know if you know about New York, but I remember when I would try to go to Rockaway or any other beach that wasn't the island, it was such a disappointment because I expected turquoise waters and like right. to see my uh, Like, what is this water? It's nah. gray. <laughs> You're not getting that nowhere near Jersey. No. Uh-uh. No. no. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Now, Neil was telling us before uh, we got started, he had a bunch of questions. So I- I'm not even going to waste your time. I'm, I'm going to go right to you. What do you have in mind, Neil? I want to get into the law of attraction. I want to know. Well, I've got a little bit of background, you know, from your family history, and I have a job in myself, but that's not completely law of attraction, you know? So when when did you first hear about it? Was it the movie The Secret? Did your parents present it to you? And how are you using it daily? Like affirmations? Are you waking yourself up to do said ex- mental exercise? Like how, how are you actively using it daily? Hmm. Those would be like three questions that I'm going to try to like find the direction to start. I believe I was led into it before I was consciously aware. So there was no, I I live like backwards. And so like everything's thrust upon me and then I'm taking it apart to sort of dissect it and say, how do I categorize, categorize this thing that's happening? And so I started meditating when I was 13 and a nun taught me that. So my grandparents never taught me anything about meditation. Again, that was not in the languaging, right? No. Uh, my grandfather would get into a state like nothing. He'd close his eyes and boom, then he's channeling and, you know, whatnot. Or he'd tell me, go get this plant blah, 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 and do this. So meditation really helped ground and center me. It also helped like fine tune this channel that again, I wasn't aware of this channel, my connection to a source. It was all co- coached in something, um, how do I, how do I define this? I would say I had a, a stronghold on religion and that was my defining tool for many years until I started realizing, well, all passports lead to the same place. You can pick a passport or pick none. It's all good. Like it took me a while to get there. So now when it came to the using law of, a law of attraction, I just started, <laughs> I knew for a long time to be careful with my words because I would see things happen. And unfortunately, I would see it on the negative front a lot because my my grandparents and my mother would say, like, they would always say, what I say comes true. 
They would always say this to us. And then my mom, if someone like crossed her, she'd be like, this is going to happen to you. Blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, that would happen to the person. Now, whether it was like she seeded an idea and they manifested it or not, not my business. Collective I, energy. <laughs> right. Everyone in the room was like, yep. I've seen her before. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I was terrified of that. So I would be very careful and I would write what I wanted. And then I started seeing that come true. Now, without context, when you write what you want, your whole life may flip upside down until you understand the intention behind what it is, the thing that you think you want. You may just want the feeling of it. So what I mean by that is, let's say, let's say at the time I written, I want a Mercedes Benz, Right. If I asked the right whys and got to the core of my feeling, I would understand that I wanted a Mercedes life. I wanted to feel comfortable. I wanted to feel affluent. I wanted the feeling of that stability, quote, air quotes, right? But if I write, I want a Mercedes, and then I make that happen, but I can't afford the car, I can't afford the gas, I can't afford the insurance, what I'm asking for is a problem. So it's sort of like, learning the hard way and the long way when you write what you want or you say what you want to set the right intention and really understand your core why. And it took me, I think, a lifetime's journey to get there. At no point during that time was I had I ever answered the call as a shaman. It never even came, though I was looking for a call. I was like, I would ask nuns, am I supposed to be a nun? How do I know when the call comes? Who calls me and what does that look like? Then I was like, should I be a reverend? Should I be a pastor? Am I supposed to do something? There was something and everything was no. And then in the state between wake and sleep, a shaman appeared, which I later just like understood was a shaman and said, are you ready to answer the calls of shaman in your life? And my heart was like, yes. Like if you were just asking me, do you want to go to the movies? I was like, yes, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I got up, I shut up out of bed, go, what did I say yes to? What does this mean? And that's when like, that's when my whole life flipped upside down. Exit the matrix. Like just so <laughs> Exit the matrix. <laughs> yeah. That's the moment. Yeah. You took the red pill. I get it. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That is funny. That is wild too. It, mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting whenever we get the chance to talk with somebody like you who has clearly developed um, tremendous connection to source or however you want to describe it. Um, because from my perspective, it's really fascinating because my own connection, I, I have, I'm in very rudimentary level and I keep wanting to get to a better level and sometimes I make a little progress. And then I talk to somebody like you, who's got his, like, everything's just nailed. Like you've got everything just figured out. And I say, Oh no, I okay, don't wait, what, what's going on here? What, why is it these other people have it so good? And I can't even, I, I can barely get past a, what's going on here. I don't get it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can understand why. You might think that. I definitely don't feel like I have anything figured out. I think the moment I think something is figured out, it's not. It's like flipped again. I think that if I have it all figured out, it's like time to transition. <laughs> like, That's exactly, because I would just be so bored. I'd be like, it's I, I have to transition. <laughs> I have well, we to laugh at that, actually, I think this planet. I mean, seriously. Do. Yeah, I think it actually happens quite a bit. Yeah. In fact, one of my other co-hosts told me a story. Oh. This is about, oh, four or five months ago, something like that. He was telling me about somebody who I think by age 22 became like a multi-multi-millionaire, completely successful and everything. And she felt like she was done and she died. Wow. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I have literal chills. 
Yeah. That's yeah. why Robin Williams, you know, did what he did because he had climbed every wow. mountain. He had conquered it all and lived in conquering it all for over 40 years. Mm. He just was done. He was bored. That's Crazy. why like it, it to, the thought of knowing it all is like the worst thing for me. I would hate knowing it all because hmm. I thrive for information and I feel that achievement and accomplishment that we as people love to feel every time I gain a new piece of information in an area that I'm interested in, like pilots or law of attraction. So it's like, it would just be very, very depressing. It's, it is a very depressing thought to think um, how it would be if I knew it all. And I, it's crazy because some people wish for that. And it's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for. I mean, okay. it's about the journey, right? And as much as we say that, I think as humans, I know I can speak for myself. I become super impatient, impatient. I want to know the, I, it's like I said, I do things backwards. So I like, I want to know the end result and then I'll work my way through to, to figure out the pieces. Yeah, sure. And it's just like my need to control my impatience, my very human self, like well, explain this that. to me. Yeah. Well, one time or another. I mean, that's just part of being alive. Yeah. So how do you handle it throughout the day when it just pops up out of nowhere right. while you're driving home daydreaming? Every day I use my words to alchemize energy. Um, so you, several times a day I alchemize energy. So, so you wake up, you wake up from the thought and verbally take it somewhere else, basically. Mm -hmm. If I have to do it out loud, if I have to use sound, um, and so to get like more concrete about that, like if I'm uh, washing dishes and I realize I'm running a story in my head, and I'll do this, like I'll run a whole story. It doesn't even exist. This is maybe there's an argument that never happens, and I'm running this thing in my head. What are you doing? Okay. Yeah, that's done. And then I use the water and I get really grounded and I'm just grounding myself in the moment. I release the dense energy and I transmute it into unconditional love. And I say this until I feel it, right? I use words to that, that trigger a feeling within me. And the moment I call in unconditional love, I tangibly feel the shift in me. And so it's like about using language that honors you, not necessarily like finding, oh, I found this like sacred scrolls. I'm going to say random words that mean crap to me. Like you have to really, really <laughs> feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so like I do that or like I get really grounded. I go outside. If I'm walking, get in the grass, breathe, feel into nature. Thank Mother Nature for allowing me to release this dense energy, pull it through me. And when I say dense energy, it means like negative thought patterns or beating myself up for not doing something. I'm thinking I only I have to get this done. I have to get this done. OK, wait, hold up. Do we have to do this? Let's, let's, let's relax. Let's breathe. Actually, you have an hour that you can relax. Let's go do that. Let's go relax. Yeah. Let's go get centered. And so it's a constant like check in. Gone are the days of me just like going 80 miles per hour just to get to the, to Friday. Like that. No, every day is Friday. Yeah. Every day is Friday. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? My yeah. dad texts me TGIF today. He texts me that every Friday. I'm like, dad. We've both been retired for more than 10 years now <laughs> from the same police department. Every day is Friday for us. Why would you, why you keep sending me that? Like yeah. it's not going to, I say it's not going to brighten up my day, but it does just because he texts me, but not because it's Friday. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a question. You mentioned getting grounded. Mm. Uh, what part of New York is there grass? My yard. Oh, I was going to say, because I, <laughs> <such a park. laughs> I didn't see a lot of the, the grass in New York. No, no, I was just joking. Um, waking <laughs> up, what, she, what she's talking about, everybody, is waking up. And, I, and it's funny because I've been doing a, a real intense study into this area. Um, I don't know if you, Walt, you know Emily and Scott Somerset. They spoke in Dan's recent abundance thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
I was talking with him. I was on his podcast yesterday and we were talking about waking up and I was asking him, you know, because waking up is the start to anything you're going to do throughout the day proactively when your mind is on autopilot and you're just going, stopping is, is the first part, becoming present. Then you could do affirmations, visualization techniques, whatever you want to do. But so I was asking him how you wake up how you remember to wake up. Like, you know, I set alarms on my watch. It's constantly going off, papers hanging up places, constant reminders everywhere. So that would be my next question to you. How do you condition yourself to wake up um, as often as you do? Because remembering to remember to wake up is the hardest part, you know, mm-hmm. with life coming at us a mile a minute. Um, and before you go, I just want to, what they had given me, they, what he said was basically repetition. Uh, brain muscle memory. But what he said was after every time when he wakes up, he makes sure there's some type of he taps or does something, some kind of sound. And I was thinking, Hmm, I want to try that and see exactly what it does and what's the benefit he's getting out of it. And I've been trying it today and it literally makes me do it more. It sounds like an anchor. So if, if waking up is your goal, start doing something like he, he, when he, uh, what did he say? I think he said, I'm up. Oh, I'm back. I got his notes from yesterday. Sometimes, most of the time he'll wake up, he'll say, oh, I'm back. So it's kind of <laughs> just like you were saying earlier when you find yourself running that negative scenario. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just give us, uh, how you develop the skill to wake up more often than not to remember to remember to do something that we naturally don't remember to do because <laughs> life's just coming at us. It's funny. Um, I think if I look back, if I rewire it, it's because I'm an empath. I always had to check in because I feel emotions nonstop, not just my own, the emotions of others. So when I get hit with a wave of it, I'm like, all right, let me get grounded so I can ask who is this? Is this me or not? And I think that's the thing that makes me wake up because let's say it sounds weird, but like if my stepson walks in the house and he's having a crap day, I will feel him before I know he came home. Right. And then I, that take, it's not like immediate, like, Oh, I know he's here. It's like, Oh my God, what's that? Okay. Hold on. Let me breathe. Let me get ground. Even if I'm in the middle of something, I have to get really just present. Is this mine? The answer is no. Whose is this? Okay. Let me go check. I confirm he's here. I go breathe, get grounded. Either I address him or give him space. Sort of how I navigate the people in my home. If I'm out, so say at a big box store, I have to, I have to do it for like my, to thrive. I have to keep checking in. So it's not even like I have to make myself aware in order for me to function. I need to be in a constant space of like remembrance. Make sure you breathe, make sure you're here, check in with your feelings. So that way you can alchemize energy. That's like swooshing by you every day. So you're not taking it home. So, so it, it almost is like it's, it's survival. It's a survival mechanism that you're engaged. Yeah. In. It's a, it's the, for me, it's the best way because I know so many empaths that shut it down to survive. So they just shut mm. themselves completely down to survive. Um, instead of learning that it's all energy and how you maneuver through energy is the way you thrive through it. Right. And so that's sort of like, it's like if I'm constantly driving, I have to be looking around. You know what I mean? I, I, it, it makes me think of something, which is mm-hmm. that. I've heard other people say to me that everybody is empathic, mm-hmm. but we can, we, we as human beings do tend to shut things down. We shut down emotions. We shut down all kinds of stuff. And, and so in my own case, I'm wondering at some point early in my life, did I learn to shut down and just never learn to, to shut it back on again? 
Yeah. I mean, I think you can learn to turn it back on again. Um, it just depends on your intention and what you, why your, why, right? How will it serve your highest good? And how much you actually believe it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Because I shut down my intuition for years. It was still coming. It was still there. I was very good at ignoring it. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's what I mean about shutting it down. Right. Well, it's nice to have a skill, you know. <laughs> at least the one. If I can just have the one, that's great. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it is, I think it's been so long that to, to thrive, I, I need to constantly check in. That's, uh, it's so funny because I, I, I'm like part empath, I guess, I guess I call myself. Um, and I use those emotions mm -hmm. to wake up and I also use physical pain. If I'm feeling a physical pain, I'm like, man, my neck, I, that's my trigger. What am I doing with this? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what am I going to shift my thoughts to to serve me as opposed to damn, this hurts, you know, and manifesting a future where I'm saying, damn, this hurts again. So <laughs> I use those emotional <laughs> triggers. Um, and I probably, re I, I definitely rely on them more than these things I got taped up everywhere. These reminders I got that just fall into the background. Mm -hmm. But yes, this clicking, snapping, making a sound or saying I'm back. Every time you wake up, if you make it a discipline to do that, I've upped my wake up game tenfold today. Now, tomorrow's wow. another day. You know how you get a mental exercise and you do it a lot the first day and the next day a little bit and the third day. Yeah, yeah. Not at all. <laughs> I'll let you guys know how it works out you know, <laughs> uh, on Facebook. But I'm loving it so far. You, mm -hmm. Walt knows that I am, I'm kind of like borderline obsessed with having as many positive um, scenarios go on in my mind as I can in one day. And so I'm like this. I got 60 to 70,000 thoughts on average per day per person. I need to spend as much time as I can making as many as them as good as they can be for my future. So mm -hmm. to me, a negative thought is literally taking food off the table for my kids. So that's the other driving force. But when I combine them, I end up without the negative thoughts. They're very rare and waking up a lot more. So I'm loving this exercise. I'll keep you guys updated on how that goes. The phrase too. I like the phrase waking up. Oh, yeah. You know, it has, it, it evokes something. I mean, we, we all associate with, okay, I'm waking up in the morning. So there's a, there's an evocation there that we can identify with, but talking about waking ourselves up throughout the day, that's an interesting way of looking at things. We, that helps you see your, your imagination or your thoughts as hallucinations or dreams, which enables you to get rid of their power a little bit more, take a little bit of zest out of them when you're running that negative scenario and, and you mm -hmm. wake up and you're like, oof, it's just a dream. It's not real. So <laughs> little key things like that, that'll like punch the ego in the gut without you even knowing. I try to stick to those. <laughs> those are similar tools that they use for lucid dreaming. Oh, I tell me, you know a lot about lucid dreams. Do you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> she smiled and shook her head. Yes. I was like, oh, I've been looking for somebody to come speak at the summit about lucid dreams. I can uh, send someone your way. He's, he's been very good at helping me sort of navigate, um, to understand that I was lucid dreaming and then how to navigate that world a little, a little better. And also, I mean, that also helped with feeling protected in the lucid dream space nice. in the astral. So, uh, I can send him your way. He's, What's he's his name? Jaime Lundquist Munoz. Okay. Um, yeah, he, he knows so much about it as well. Yeah. I mean, I know when I'm, when I'm in a lucid dream, like I'm in it, I know it and I'm aware, but that's it. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, I know. 
I recently, I like to, I like to use little cheat codes. I like to say Hi. cheat sheets. Oh, oh. Hi. This is my son. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Is. He came to bless us. All right, go finish. It's Tony. <laughs> and close the, take the dog with you and close the door, please. He's not going to go this time. Two of my latest mental exercises. Um, I heard that if you can't proactively fly in any direction you want in your sleep, in your dream, um, that is a, basically a representation of la- the, your feeling of lack of abundance, mm. you know, that you feel throughout the day. And of course, abundance will be tied in with finances. So my two affirmations for this week are I can fly in my dreams and I feel my abundance. And so I'm kind of putting them there because in order for me to be able to fly in my dreams, the universe has to make me feel abundance. It has to. So I'm kind of attacking it from multiple levels. Plus, um, you might not know this, Lisa, but I'm a pilot and I'm obsessed with flying. The only thing better than flying in the sky, because, you know, you could die, is flying, you know, on the ground you know, with a controller, which is cool, but to be able to do it while I'm sleeping, the threat is gone. I can fly anywhere I want. And it's just utter bliss, a blissful thought to me. So not only would these dreams be manifesting abundance in my awake time, but I would be having the most fun that I possibly could have, that I love to have while I'm dreaming. It's like a win, 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 win. So that's my, that's my latest thing. I love that. I love that so much. I don't think anyone has ever posed it that way, this ability to fly. Um, when it comes to abundance, it there's a phrase that I was using. Oh. Um, it, <laughs> I needed to find a way to connect it to love because for me, love is the reason for everything. It's the source of all. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I started, I remember I was walking down the block and I, I think I was just doing an experiment, right? So I go, I am open and available to receive the abundance of love in all forms, in all ways, in all areas of my life. And I just was saying this like under my breath, like walking like a loon in in, in New York, right? And I went to Dunkin' Donuts. And I remember I had like, I think I had like $4 left in my Dunkin' card. And I went to buy something and it was four twenty five. And I didn't go with any cash. I thought I had perfect amount on my card. I was like, oh, let me go see. I can go home and get, because I was just around the block. And he's like, just don't worry about it. It's 25 cents. I was like, are you sure? I can come right back. He's like, just forget it. <laughs> so I leave him my coffee. I'm like, thank you so much or whatever. And I'm like, and I keep saying I'm open and available to the to abundance of love in all forms and all ways. And I'm walking and walking. And then all of a sudden, it's a really windy day. And I look in the middle of the street and I see something. It's the middle of the street. There's like two lanes going this way, two lanes going that way. And I just see something and, I, and I'm like looking and I walk up to it and I immediately just put my foot on it because it was a dollar. Now like, this is going to fly away. It's stuck because it looks stuck to the ground. And I went to look kind of like nervous that it was something gross, right? Like on the dollar because it was stuck. There was nothing holding it to the ground. Ah, and it. then I picked it up and I heard, I audibly heard, 25 cents to a dollar. How much more can we do? How much more can we do? How much more can we do? Like showing me within an instant, it was not only doubled. Okay. I went from 25 cents to a dollar, like showing me, believe, keep believing in your words and watch as the abundance continues to manifest. And then it did in all ways and all forms across all areas of my life. 
And, and when did you when 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 did that uh, episode start? That that when did that incident occur? That happened about three months ago. I have the dollar over here. <laughs> <laughs> you have it. You kept it. Okay. I cool. The dollar. Yeah. <laughs> I used it's funny. I used to leave, I used to leave dollars places because I just wanted people to have that feeling mm-hmm. and you know get involved with the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. But it, it has been a while, so that wasn't mine. Sorry. No, it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of curious how you got how whoever did it managed to get the dollar to stay there on the ground without flying away. That part's really cool. Road. Yeah, oh, this man did it. <laughs> he did it. Don't you ask her? <laughs> stay, dollar, stay. <laughs> no, was, I think that when I go out into the world, kind of like how your son jumped in, we saw him. It's like that that innocence and wonder. If you approach everything like hi, with that sort of excitement, the the world smiles back at you in so many different little ways if we just open our eyes to see it. And that's kind of how I approach things. I can be super serious and like all that, but I really much prefer to walk out and like look at a butterfly and a bird and be excited about the dollar in the street. Cause I think it creates more of that in my own life, more of that wonder and awe and love and excitement and joy. And honestly that takes practice mm-hmm. because especially I, I'll speak for myself. The very first times I tried to do something like that, it, it was really easy to miss them mm-hmm. to this day. It still is easy to miss them, but I miss them a lot less often. I notice a lot more often and I'm able to engage in the way you're just describing, uh, engage in, in celebrating just the little things in life that come your way. Um, but it takes practice. And I think a large reason why is because of, of, well, first of all, the way our societies are structured, um, we live in a world that is based on drama, based on contrast, polarity, and people really are, I hesitate to say addicted, but kind of, they are addicted. We're addicted to all this negativity. And so we keep paying all this attention to it and we get really good at it and we get so good at it that we lose track of how you pay attention to the good stuff. So it, it's almost like an unlearning thing that, that we are all, those of us who are interested in this, that, that we're going through trying to kind of reprogram ourselves, re, re, reorient our attention. And it, it takes time. It's the re, hold up. Do you re, do you say, I'm sorry, just hit me real quick. I got, but man, I wanted both you guys to answer. Do you think the reason we're addicted to negativity deep down inside, do you think it has anything to do with the, you know, joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain? thing you know we've all been through a scenario we've all been in situations where we were just high off life for long enough to where that just got boring and we were like and then you feel the bad and then then the good starts to feel really good again so it's like deep down we know there's a cycle so it's kind of like we want the good to be better so let's seek out some bad you think it's some deep buried nasty human characteristic do you want to go first or shall i Go first, Walt. Okay. Um, From where I sit, I I like to remind myself that we humans, and actually all life forms, but but specifically humans in this context, um, we chose to come here. And we came here knowing what this world is. This is a world of contrast, a world of polarity. Negative stuff happens. And I think that's a major source of why we're... I, I, I'm resisting the word addicting. So it's got to be something else that I have to use here instead. But why, why we're so fascinated. Let's, let's put it that way. Why we're so fascinated with the negativity, because that's why we came here. That's precisely why we came here. So, you know, if, if you, if you go 
visit, you know, the Grand Canyon, are you going to go stare at the cactus over on the side of the road? No, you're going to stare at the Grand Canyon. That's why you went there. You went to go see the Grand Canyon. Now, why are you saying we came to Earth to experience negativity? Yeah, we we came here to experience the whole experience, the positive and the negative all mixed mixed together. Oh, okay, okay, the whole shebang. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that, you and that was that was a big stumbling point for me for a long time. Um, it was actually uh, David Strickle, Stream of David, who helped me to really appreciate that side of understanding, which is we we really want to appreciate all of it. We want to appreciate the negative as well as the positive. And I'll tell you, that's a hard challenge. Appreciating negative can be really, really rough at times. Yeah. But the more that we can do that, the more that we appreciate the positive, interestingly enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's where the, again, it's about the journey. That's where the learning takes place, mm-hmm. right? How do you yeah. navigate these waters? Do you swim against the current? Do you go with it? How well right. are you swimming? Do you need more swimming classes? Like, what do you need? Do you go <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Why do you think I do a podcast? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Pressures. This yeah. Is our, this is our medicine, by the way. Literally yeah. medicine. Yeah. For us. Uh, for sure. I think each of you has, actually, each of you brings medicine to people with what you're doing. Reciprocation, baby. Mm-hmm. The yeah. cycle. The cycle works if there's not an extra hand pulling from, you know, both sides and not putting back in. You know, I always mm-hmm. talk about that, like with the government and stuff like that. It's like, you got the people who go to work and get paid and then they go to the store and shop and then that pays the workers. So you got a perfect cycle and it works. But when you have a third entity involved, that's not equally sharing. It's really just pulling from both without putting in. That's when you get disruption. It's no longer perfect harmony, which is the reason why, you know, our system doesn't work now, but that's a whole nother topic. Well, (laughs) interesting. You should say that I'm going to tie it together with what we've been talking about here. And I'm going to do it through a very rare novel that almost nobody has ever read. It's one of these authors that, you know, 50 people read the book, but I love the book. And and in this particular book, he was talking about how, um, how we come into this life and we are, we are, we are dealing with it from a perspective that's very similar to what, uh, the movie The Matrix does. It, it, it presents it as like a, a computerized environment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this was before The Matrix. This is before the internet that this book came out. So the way the, this particular author was presenting it was, imagine that you were able to enter a computer, like a personal computer, and interact with it without using a keyboard or a mouse or anything like that. You could actually just like through your fingertips or you know directly connected to your brain, you could interact with that computer. And with that premise now this was long before the internet came along it was long before most of the technology we have today so he was actually kind of prescient in what he was he was writing about but he was doing it without any reference to what we have today so he was kind of making up his own stuff and and within that context he invented a a scenario basically a storyline where um there's a small group of what today we would call hackers who had learned how to write software that would enable them to have this kind of direct interface with a, with a computerized environment on demand. And in the course of the, the way the story goes, there are two characters, two protagonists who end up essentially kind of taking over the system, not because they're trying to take over the system, but just because part of the storyline is they need to draw all this computing resources to resolve this issue. And all of a sudden they find that they're metaphorically gods, so to speak. Hmm. 
And in the process of taking all this information in for the first time, and because it's all going through their brains, their brains are processing all this stuff, which, by the way, is, I think, the weak part of the book because our brains can't possibly process stuff that fast. But that's another point. As they're processing this stuff, they're, they're like thrown off balance, kind of like what we talk about here. So far off balance that they aren't even sure what to do. They're like, it's almost like being autistic and you, there's too much data coming in and you can't process it all. And one of them finally realizes what's going on and says, use the outgo. Don't just take the data in, process it out too. In other words, don't just, don't just be the receiver of data, put data out. Mm-hmm. Do both at the same time. That's how you achieve balance. That's, and that was the point he was making in that particular part of the storyline. Mm-hmm. So if we take the same idea and apply it to a world of polarity, of contrast, then what we're really trying to learn how to do is not to eliminate negativity, is to take negativity and flow it with positivity and to flow positivity with negativity to make the whole thing a complete connection. Mm-hmm. Because when, you, when you're able to be processing it in both directions at the same time, you're no longer, quote, addicted, unquote, to the negative side. And it's really about understanding it, but you're not making this situ- you're not making this situation positive or negative. The the world is happening around you, so you're choosing to see it, you know, positive or negative, and um, so it's really like making that choice. So I, I like that because that puts the power back in our hands only if we're awake and aware enough to consciously wake ourselves up and take it elsewhere, you know, run the best case scenarios. So I really like that. I do too. I think it, it, there's also the flip of it because sometimes people, when they're in a different cycle of awakening, so outside of the day to day, but like cycle of life, a new chapter where they're like waking up to maybe another side of themselves or new passions or new creativity, or let's say, even in the spiritual realm, when you're awakening to like what it feels like to be so connected to source, like those two programmers, like, Oh, I have a direct channel now, right now. All I want to do is be with this direct channel. And I don't want to be with humans. Humans suck. I just want to be here in this one space. Like you need the, you need the yin and the yang. You need the balance, right? So take everything you're learning about your direct connection, be that channel and then bring it into the space that you are in now to create that sense of harmony. We're not meant to just receive, 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 even though many people do feel challenged in receiving, that is one end of the journey, but now it is also to give. It's that cyclical thing that you were talking about. So coming into this space and saying, I've learned so much and now it's time for me to share it. Now it's not just for me to be in total awe at all times. It's for me to have a very human experience. So that way other humans can also learn and benefit and grow and we collectively can start leveling up in this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Question. Another question for both of you guys. When you do questions, I just (laughs) I'm learning. When you because I want to know exactly how you do your stuff because I'm gonna pull from you and say when I was a cop, I think I had we I was supposed to have one training officer. Every cop's supposed to get one training officer. If he's a piece of dirt, uh, it's kind of just uh what you got, you know. There it goes. But either way, I had like 18 because they were just shorthanded and they were tossing me. All right, go with him today, and I was able to pull what I needed from some and trash what I didn't from the others. So I like to do that with you guys. So when you do your wake up, all right, let's say you're walking down the hallway, you're daydreaming or you find yourself running a negative scenario. Whoa. <laughs> Self-checking. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's that? So is it, is it 
very important to go through the whole, is that thought serving me? Why was I thinking that? Or is it just as good when you wake up to just jump into that positive scenario? Like, you know what? Like what I like to do is when I wake up, whatever is happening right now, I pretend that the best case scenario is happening right now of that situation. I don't care who's there. In my head, I'm smiling. It's going down. I'm smiling and I'm winning and whatever the situation is. And so I tend to skip the whole, are those thoughts serving me? Hmm. I recognize the negative, flip it. I got to go outside, stare at some trees and get meditative, whatever I got to do. But I flip it without analyzing the whole, is that thought serving me? Why was I thinking that? And I was just wondering if that's, if that, why was I thinking that? Is it serving me? Was that a major part of what you guys do when you first do check-ins? Cause I know Walt's the king of check-ins yeah. and, uh, and you definitely are the queen now that I get to hear you talk. So I'd love to get that from both of you guys. May I go? Well, is that go right? ahead. I think I, I wouldn't recommend skipping all the time. So this is what I mean. It depends on the thought, feeling or process you're going through because for me, it's about having the wisdom and discernment to not skip over my own feelings. So if it is something that I need to sit with, I need to check in and find out. Mm-hmm. I don't want to gloss over and because there's also like this thing called toxic positivity, which I don't like. And I've been in spaces where I hear people like gloss over other people's emotions. And I'm like, mm, that's not the point either. Right. Right. Cause it's, you know, so then it's like either addicted to negativity or addicted to positivity. How about we not addicted and we just sort of go with the flow, the energy flow of this and see where this journey is taking us. I don't always need to go, Oh, what's going on? I've, I've come to a point where like I can tell if I can't tell, I do a, I do a total check-in. If I can tell, no, I need to get grounded, go outside, do some breath work. Did I meditate enough today? Maybe that was five minutes. Maybe I could have spent a little longer in my meditative state. Maybe I needed more. You know what I mean? It's not a forever dialogue with myself. This happens in like milliseconds, but I do have more practice. I'm not, uh, I'm not perfect at it, but I definitely want to always want to make sure that I'm not glossing over something I need to pay attention to. That's part of my growth as a human, even if it's something minor, because something minor is what people like to call triggers. You ignore yeah. it enough and all of a sudden you're outbursting because you can't find your pen and you know, who stole it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't want to get to that place. Yeah. I hear you on that. I, I, I would also add in something else too. Um, we've talked a lot here about negatives and positives. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't actually think in terms of negatives and positives in my day to day life. I think in terms of likes and dislikes mm-hmm. because there's, there's a lot of baggage that gets attached to positivity. And negative. You talked about toxic positivity, you know, so there's mm-hmm. like an example of how that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what, what we often start off by talking about as being positive or negative, what we, re, what we're often attaching to it are things like, well, it's positive because I like the fact that the other person did this other thing rather than whether, whether or not that thing was actually good for them. You know, mm. they, they, we start putting little spins on it in terms of, well, it, who's it really positive for? Well, if it's positive for me, then it's positive. It must be positive. But if it's not positive for me, it must not be positive. Well, yeah, but I think it's positive. You know, and, and so it kind of, kind of spins off the rails, so to speak. But when I think about it just in terms of how I feel about something, now now I can just kind of sort all that rest of that stuff out. And I can actually not feel good about something that other people feel good about, and it's okay. And I can feel good about something that somebody else doesn't feel good about, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because all I'm really doing at that point is just checking to see how I feel about it. So to answer the question the way you framed it, I... 
I, I think I started off when I was first doing check-ins by doing it consciously, you know, consciously being coming aware of, okay, is there something here I need to be aware of? Yes, there is. And, and working through it. But over time, I just started to learn to trust. How does it feel to me? If it feels not so good, I, it means I'm focusing on something I don't like. Where can I change my focus? Mm-hmm. You're, you're muted there, Neil. My bad. Well, how often do you meditate? Not as much as I was doing six months ago, but yes. Okay. Here's the question for both of you. Hmm. If you go to meditate and three minutes in, you fall asleep. Do you decide to meditate again later? Cause you know, if you try to go back, you're probably just going <laughs> to fall asleep again. It depends. Sometimes I meditate in order to go to sleep. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, if that's not your point, you know, sometimes your so you body save it for later. It. I yeah. do it. I do I meditate three times a day. I do different types, so it's not just always a sitting down, being quiet. I honor what my body needs, so maybe it's a walking meditation. So it's like being really present in nature, focusing on my breath and my feet and observing. Right. Maybe it's maybe I'm just going to start dancing for five minutes and focus again, or working out. Like there's different ways to do it. It was if you're falling asleep, then maybe mix it up a little bit, or maybe get better sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I use it to go to sleep. I mean, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I find, oh my God, I'm awake. I got to get back to sleep. And, you know, I'll, I'll try the other stuff that I've often tried in the past and it doesn't work. All right. Let's go back to meditation. Just focus on breathing for a while. One breath, two breaths, three breaths. Usually by 10, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not a nap person. Um, so when I wake up in the morning and I meditate for 12 to 15 minutes, um, doing mm -hmm. like the calm app or something like that. But every now and then I'll go back to meditate at like three in the afternoon and I'll wake up like, uh, man, I didn't mean to go to sleep and I'm tired. And I'm like, I know if I try to meditate again, I'm just going to go right back to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep because I have a four year old running around. So I just scrap it to, you know, to do it later. And I was just wondering how you guys well, dealt well, with that. try the walking time. meditation. I, I, I'm with you completely on that, at least, because I, I my favorite way to do it is to go take a walk. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't necessarily call it a meditation, but it's yeah. meditative. That's yes, yeah. that's my whole thing. It's I, definitely meditative. With my with my karate background, growing up as a kid, we were taught that meditation is absence of thought. Period. So when someone's telling you you're going through a forest and you hear water, that would be considered, I guess, guided meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and like so, if you're actually doing something or your eyes are open to where you're processing things in the background, there's a ball flying at my head. I'm about to step on a Lego. You know, like stuff like when you're as you're processing, technically from my karate class growing up, they wouldn't consider that meditation. So when you said walking, I'm like, all right, I got you on that. But I was kind of referring to that, that one you want to do where you're just still and you're trying to remain absence of thought. Like that's kind of the one I was referring to. But I definitely got my answer because I I love those other answers. You know, I, <laughs> I do. Because <laughs> as much as I in between, every, this is how I do it in between every email, every meeting. Everything I do on this desk before I took this uh, Skype or, or whatever stream yard. And after I'm done, I'm going to go outside and stare at those trees, mm -hmm. you know, and though I'm looking and I'm hearing birds and I'm processing it moving and I got these little bugs that'll land on you, you know, all these threats and stuff going on around me. I'm still am in a meditative state. So I, I definitely respect it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because while things are moving outside of you, there's things moving inside of you. This is just all energy, right? And so you can release energy that built up during this call 
and welcome in. So you make more space to welcome in new energy throughout the rest of your day. I mean, that's how I perceive it. Um, my meditations are never just quiet. Like I focus on my breath, but then all of a sudden I'm receiving. It's like whoosh, yeah. just like yeah. images and things it's nonstop. So they're never just like, if I'm totally quiet and just in my breath, then I'm out. I'm out by the count of 10. I'm, I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good though, because what you're really saying is you're not fussed about whether you're meditating quote perfectly unquote. No. It's not important. Mm-mm. By the way, listeners, if you are find yourself fussed, you just stop, reset, go do something and come <laughs> yes. back later. If, yeah. you, if meditation is a chore, if you're not enjoying it, if it, if it feels like work, just stop and go do something else because you're wasting your time at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? You're wasting your time at that point. It should not be stressful at all. And to take it a step further, it should come to be one of the most enjoyable things that you do with yeah. your time here. Yeah. Especially if you get good at the old uh, get back into make-believe. Like if you yeah. get your mind as sharp as you were when you were a child, you play make-believe like no other. You're there and you end up loving it there more than reality because you could do what you want over there. You know, and then reality starts to follow suit. It's a beautiful thing. It's written mm-hmm. on the shirt right over there. Just mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. yes, Mr. Thoughts Become Things is in the house. There he is. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> All right. So I, I need to ask Lisanne a little bit more about uh the empath side of of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um because my sense is that that's kind of the route to where you are able to do what we're generically calling your shamanic side, mm-hmm. basically make those connections. And since that's something where I'm still trying to develop more, I want to learn more about how you get there. How, how do you get into that place where you're receiving this stuff? Gosh, for me, the journey was always, how do I get to the place where I'm not receiving all the stuff? You know, <laughs> It's an interesting problem compared to the one I have. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for people that I encounter that, want to open that up again. And I don't think you're one of these people. Well, you don't sound like them, but the ones that do come to me asking like, how do I know? Or how do I do that? They're at a point where empathy is something that they really need to relearn. So it might be using your imagination to put yourself in someone else's shoes, using language that helps another person feel heard or understood, which will in time allow you to actually understand a feeling, a thought or emotion or a circumstance. And so it's sort of like using language, like if I hear what you're saying and then you repeat it, and I can only imagine that might make you feel X, Y, and Z because now you're processing information and connecting it to a feeling in your own life. And that's why I've helped people that feel that they lack empathy, start to open that space up in them again. I don't sense at all that you're there at all. I really genuinely feel like you are empathic at a very normal, suitable, whatever level, like <laughs> functional <laughs> level, the people that are like, I'm an empath, but how do I know is I start asking them questions about how their empathy functions. And then we start reverse engineering it and breaking it down into clairs. So what I found is that- it, it, Yeah, diff, define a term there. What is a clair? Clair senses. So we have our five senses and then we have our clear seeing, knowing, feeling, tasting, that's like, let's say the psychic level, the most intuitive level that we can use the same senses heightened, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't, even people that know they're intuitive don't know how to classify their clairs. 
So like I talked to some guy and I was like, do you have clear seeing? Are you clear? And he's like, no, no, no. And then we're talking and he's telling me, I see like, I'm like, okay, you just said I see. And (laughs) tell me what that means to you. Is it an impression? He's like, it's like an impression. It's like I have this thought and it's in my head and I'm imagining, okay, that is a clear seeing, clear seeing. It's an imaginary, it can be a thought here in your mind that you're visually seeing in your mind, or it can be something outside of you that you're visually seeing. And there's levels to that, right? So it can be something that like, it's like a download, like a digital download from a computer, like it's taking a long time to load this picture. It can be like a movie screen, or it can be like something you can almost touch. It depends on how developed your clear seeing is. Now, how does that relate to clear empathy? The thing you see will trigger a feeling or emotion within you. Okay, I'm afraid of that, or that brings me joy. Okay, there's rarely a, a an empath who doesn't have one or two, at least two going at the same time. So let's say you have strong clear senti, um, clear tangency, things that you touch. So if you walk into an antique shop, you immediately might get hit with a wave of like, I'm overwhelmed. I got to get out of here. There's too much stuff in here. And that just because there's so much energy attached to various things that people cherish at one time or another. And you're feeling all that, but you don't know why you hate that antique shop. So it's about getting into this space where you're recognizing these are not my emotions. I'm just tuning into the frequency of the energy around me. So your clear tangency is super strong. Clear empathy is where you have um, this idea that someone you know or love is suffering. Or they're sick. I don't know. I feel like I got to call so-and-so. I don't. They're in Europe and you're in the States. And you're like, I don't know. Something's up. Let me call them. And then you call them like, I was thinking about you. Oh, my God. I'm going through a rough time. And now you have a conversation. And that's just a coincidence. Or maybe your your clear empathy is a volume is up. Mm-hmm. And you're just tuning into that frequency right now. So when I talk to people and try to understand what their experience is, I can sort of help them define like, okay, this is what that is. It's a real thing. You didn't make it up. So now how do we ramp up this clear sense? The reason why I say ramp up is because if you know how to use your senses to the fullest, you don't become a sponge like I was for most of my life trying to wring out, wring it out all the time. It's like, (laughs) I'm not meant to just feel the emotions of other people. So I feel emotions. I feel physical pain. Um, it depends on who I'm serving and why I can, I can feel it by, with someone like right now in interaction on Zoom in person or just by tuning into their frequency, no matter where in the world they are, if I have their permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thankful that I'm able to do that. But now let's say I don't know that I can do that and I'm walking around and I'm feeling a lot of anxiety and there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. So I start asking myself, is this mine? This is not mine. Okay. I don't need to find out whose it is. It's not my job to figure it out. I don't have to fix the world. I create a process where I can release that energy. Immediately, let's get grounded. For me, that's with my breath or putting my hands in soil or putting my hands in the water. Some people like to light candles. Some people want to put music on. These are all ways to shift energy. So I start shaking it off on myself. I use Qigong. I'll actively like cleanse my energetic space like Phoebe on friends, just stick a sage or whatever I got to do to make like this practice of releasing energy that isn't mine. And if it's really dense, which is what I like to say, it's really dense energy. That's when I actively alchemize. So I'll start transmuting energy. This energy is complete. I alchemize it to the highest form of unconditional love and send it into the light, send it to Mother Earth. I release it from my body. It is not mine to hold and I will no longer hold it. And so it is and so it is and so it is. And so I I make a ceremony out of everything. Like whatever I can to release energy I'm holding, I do that. 
But in order to get there, I need to know how my senses are operating. That is the most long-winded way I could explain to you how no, we get that's from actually A to B. Useful. That, that's actually very <laughs> useful. Yeah, uh, because now you've given me some language to work with, and so that's really great. Uh, and the way that I would uh, use that language is to say, I think I do experience uh, those kinds of impressions that you were talking about. I think probably we all do. Mm-hmm. I know in my own case, I, I don't usually do things like, well, cleanse the energy. It's mm-hmm. more like I dismiss the energy and like it, it goes away. Mm-hmm. It, it's that kind of an experience. But that that's actually the, the normal response because I don't really know what else to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I, you know, okay, I got this impression. I, you know, a, a boy with a hat on. Okay, well, great. Next, I don't know what to do with the dog. Ask thing. the question. <laughs> ask the question. Ask. You'd be surprised what answers you get when you just stop and ask questions. The the secret part two, it's called the power. Mm. Most of that book is just about asking questions. Just Mm -hmm. asking questions. They just no. I'm sorry. Most of the book is about putting I starting affirmations with I love basically. But the last two or three chapters, she gets into asking questions randomly. She's like, "That's how I find my keys." I ask the universe, and it shows me exactly where they are. And it's like really freaky stuff. But I encourage everybody. To definitely try it. But specifically, Sam, you hit my you hit my heart because when I go in Times Square, the first time I went to Times Square, I was overwhelmed. So many people, so many energies, and it took me a while to go back. And I didn't really know what that was because it was way before the Law of Attraction. I think Mm -hmm. I was a senior in high school, and years later, I went back, and it was just so busy. It was like I could literally hear everyone's thoughts. Like if you're ever in a mall food court, you can hear voices very loud, but you can't make out any of them because mm-hmm. there's so many of them. And uh, so every time I went, I kind of like practiced being at peace with that, but I never thought of it or looked at it in, a, in the way you just kind of broke that down and made me think of it and look at it. So now I'm like thinking about how I can work with that and, and master that. Cause I'm definitely still uncomfortable. I just have a way of process accepting <laughs> that I'm here. I came here for a reason. Let me go do that and just deal with this. These voices that are accompanied with the emotions that are like Mike Tyson punching me in my stomach. So it's actually, it's, it's pretty dope to hear you talk about, uh, Claire empathy mm-hmm. and, and Claire tangency. I like mm-hmm. that too, because I feel like. There's there's one pain that's been with me for a long time, and I feel like that's the weight of the world, kind of. Not the weight of the world, but the world's pain. Yeah, the I'm, collective, I'm, con- collective consciousness, you could feel I'm it. I'm manifesting it into a body pain for myself, and I haven't been able to shake it yet. So I think well, I'm thinking the next question. What, what do you do with that? There, I mean, there's a perfect example of the question that I, I raised earlier. What do you do with that impression? So for me... So in the beginning of the pandemic, I remember, oh my God, words, English words. In the beginning of the pandemic, a friend of mine got on the phone with me (laughs) and she's like, she's like the happiest person. And she's like, I'm in therapy because I feel depressed, but I I have no reason to be, I have no reason to be sad. I literally hasn't affected me. Thank God. I haven't been sick. I'm still working. Like, and so she's, she's been processing her feelings and I go, is it you or is it the collective? Like, did you ask? And she was like, oh, my God, I never asked. Right. And so, like, especially in times of tragedy, 
And this is something that I teach the empaths I work with, especially, and I, and I want to share it because I think it's really important. There's a couple of tools. The first one that I learned was from a shaman and he had said it in a room and it changed everything for me. But then that'll lead to the second one because one may not resonate, but the second one might. Let's see. Let's see where we go. Okay. What I learned, he said, he said was this before he would walk out the door, he would say, Take me above the Maya of human suffering. Take me above it. So he would get really grounded, really focused in his breath and visualize this energy level that asked to be taken above it. So that way he could, it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel people's feelings. It means that you won't be smacked in the face by everyone's feelings. So you can't function sort of rising above it. And that helped me for a long time. And then when I was creating my masterclass on this, I asked in a, in a meditation, I need another tool because that doesn't maybe resonate for everyone. This idea of like going over suffering. So what is another way? And what came through for me was a command an affirmation. It was activate my highest self. Then acclimate me to the vibration of my highest self now. So it's two things. One, activate this knowing of one's highest self, right? Feel that see that, use your imagination to get into that space, and then ask that your human body be acclimated to that vibration, which if we're talking about vibration, we're not necessarily at that higher state all the time. We're at a very human question asking, grunty, however we want to be in a certain <laughs> day. I love yeah. that word. <laughs> so we can acclimate to that space, that energetic space, and we're breathing into that affirmation or meditation, whatever you want to use, then we can approach dense experiences from a space of love. And it's from that space that you become an alchemist because you're operating from that space. And so what you're emanating out is love and whoever's willing to receive that love is going to receive it. All you need to do is be the peace and be the love and energy shifts around you. And that's the thing that I've learned, especially as an empath, we're not just sponges. We emanate light. The skill is how much love you can push out like a care bear, knowing you're not responsible for everyone's emotions or feelings. But if you can honor yours and hone in on yours, you can literally shift energy around you. It's really a difference between kindness and codependence. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Being mindful of that is huge. (laughs) Huge. I, I'm really sad because we're, we're, we're past our <laughs> yeah, hour we're, we're and going. I don't, I want, I don't want to stop, but we got to, we got to pull this to a stop. <laughs> so before we say goodbye to wonderful Lisa and Valentin, you got to tell us more. How do we reach out to you? How do we find you? How do we find your book? How do we learn more about you? Oh my gosh. Well, if you go to my website, lgvalentine.com, you'll have links there to my book, mm-hmm. Everyday Actor, to my masterclass. So all things me and across social media, it's at Lisa and Valentine. And that's what we'll do. We'll put that right into the show notes and that'll give people the link to the entire world. Of <laughs> Is Thank that you. it? Did I spell that right? You did. You did. Thank there you so go. much. I've had all a blast, right. Walt and Neil. I really have. Thank you. Thanks for coming mm-hmm. on. I learned a lot. I'm going to take it all away. And we got to go live. I mean, we got to go live in my, in my Facebook group. Let's do it. And introduce them more to you because we're live there now, but I know they want more. Ah. So we'll set it up. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we got one really cool comment toward the end. We got a number of really nice comments while we were talking, but toward the end, a Facebook user said, awesome topic. Made me stop the scroll. I mean, you can't ask for more than that, right? (laughs) That's great. These days, you can get the scroll stopped. You've done something. 
Mm-hmm. You've really done something. So, <laughs> well done. Thank you so much for joining us, Lee Sam. We really thank appreciate you. it. Thank and you, Bob. Neo, thank you as usual for your wonderful questions and insights. Debbie G, we miss you. Hopefully you're still tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next time. And we especially love our podcast listeners everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.